You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. If you see a couple of more shoes drop in China or all of a sudden it comes out that it's not as easy to manage this marketized default of Evergrande, you're going to see the silver price with the one in front of it. You're going to see copper with the price of three or worst case, maybe the high twos for a while if things really get ugly. I'm Bill Powers. Thanks for tuning into Mining Stock Education. And in today, we're going to be talking China, the U.S. dollar, gold and commodities with Chris Temple of NationalInvestor.com. Chris, welcome back on to the show. You've been covering the situation in China. The media pundits have been talking about the Evergrande situation. Is this the trigger that brings the whole house of cards down? Start off by giving us your analysis of what's going on in China and how does that relate to us specifically as commodities investors? Well, Bill, one of the, and there's a couple moving parts, so I'll, I'll try and condense it all and then we can delve into the individual parts. But uh, Evergrande is the biggest real estate developer as far as its debt load on this planet. Uh, they've got over $300 billion in debt, which is not only unpayable, but has recently become unserviceable. They've missed a few coupon payments on some of their bonds. This is now starting to spread in China where at least two other uh, real estate developers similar to Evergrande, but not as large, have also missed interest payments in the last few days. So the irony about all of this bill is that China, which some people have still labeled as a quote, communist country in the recent past, got into this mess for two reasons. One is they have abused fractional reserve banking, off the book shadow banking, and that generally beyond anything the US of A has done and beyond what we did in this country going on 20 years ago and building the mortgage and real estate bubbles here. They're skyscraper, not house, they're skyscrapers of cards in China are worse today than what we had back then. Number two, the interesting thing here again about a, a country that people still first, uh, you know, as a knee-jerk reaction referred to as communist, also got into this mess and let things go as far as they did by allowing more greed and private profit and shuffling of shells around, you know, a shell game with their shadow banking system and so forth beyond anything Enron ever did which started out as an energy company and turned itself into a dopey kind of hedge fund. That's what Evergrande did. So the, the question is not whether Evergrande is going to survive. It will not in its present form. And China has already said so. Internally, the government itself is using the term marketized default. On my website, uh, there's some information I posted recently people can look at, you know, for time's sake today, I won't get into all of the details, but some of the measures China is already taking to hopefully have this marketized default of Evergrande without everything else coming down. Because the risk truly is, Bill, that China today will end up like a country that a lot of people uh, were afraid of a generation ago. Uh, the, the former, quote, yellow peril, as some called it, of Japan, which seemed to be conquering the world economically and as far as markets and things like that. Back in the 1980s, they were buying everything that wasn't nailed down. People in hysterics over this 
what is Japan today? Largely irrelevant because they did it again based on huge asset bubbles more than debt, uh, but huge asset bubbles at the time. Their stock market peaked in 1989, has never since in over 30 years reached the levels it was in 1989. The real estate bubble that was just obscene beyond anything the U.S. or China has done since also burst. And Japan today doesn't own a whole lot of anything outside of its four walls relative to what it did before. That is a very real risk for China. China knows it. China knows that if that happens, they bring everybody down with them for a while. So there's some very interesting things happening that are afoot, some of which President Xi, who is emperor in all but name, as I pointed out recently, intends to keep this job for life. He is now trying to figure out, Bill, and this is where it's going to start to bite commodities and the whole global order as we've known it for our adult lifetimes pretty much he's trying to figure out now how to consolidate what he can from what china has been able to obtain playing the globalist capitalist game for the last few decades and now revert back to more of a traditional communist model the the world economy and certainly the world markets are completely unprepared for this so china's more in preservation mode in your view rather than in empire building mode would that be accurate uh near term yes but look this country can't plan things a, a week ahead okay? the united states you're referring to Yes, the United right. States. I mean, this, this, the, the way that this country is run institutionally is a joke. It didn't start with Joe Biden, but he's made it a lot worse uh, since he was elected. And Chris is an equal opportunity offender, I want to point out, Republicans and Democrats alike, just to be fair, because I get the emails. <laughs> right, Chris? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, look, the, the Republicans right now with just trying to throw sand into the gears uh, and kill an infrastructure bill, fight on a debt limit and so forth, which is very hypocritical. Of course, it's both parties that have done this. I don't want to lay it just at, at Biden's feet. So you're correct. But look, whoever's to blame and, and both of them are, this country can't make plans into next week. China sees decades down the road when somehow or other it will be a global empire or the prominent global empire again. They have the mentality, unlike the US, to do what it takes and to be pragmatic in how they get there. If they'd have to take a step or two backwards and consolidate things before they move forward again, they will. I don't believe that it's President Xi's base case that he wants Evergrande's problems or anything else to cause a repeat of what happened in the world in 2008 with all of the markets imploding for a while, or even more recently, early last year when it happened more briefly uh, with this self-imposed recession that we had at the onset of the Wuhan virus uh, pandemic and all that kind of thing. But he, he knows that's possible. But whatever does happen, he knows that he needs to consolidate control and power in his own country. And he knows that... When you boil it all down, I think in his heart, he thinks that the West is still in, in general decline, which tragically I have to agree with him. And so however long it takes to put all the pieces together, I think that they still long term believe they're in empire building mode. But yes, right now it's preserve, consolidate, back and fill and try and keep everything together. Okay, so on an individual basis for all the resource investors listening, what are the action steps and things we should be aware of as a result of this? Well, what you should be aware of is that, and again, 
you always have, and I talk about this constantly where gold is concerned, but I think it also applies to commodities generally. You have to look, even if they're completely wrong, you have to look at market perceptions of things because that's how the institutions invest their money. All right. Now, China is not today in 2021 as big a fish being the big fish in the pond globally when it comes to commodities. When you go back to the period of roughly, and I'm going to overgeneralize perhaps, 2002 to maybe 2007 or 8, China was building the equivalent of the city of Houston every single month. They were by far and away, unchallenged, the biggest consumer of commodities on this planet. All of the growth in commodities back then, and of course, a lot of people happily remember that during that several years, there was a lot of money made in commodity markets until everything got hammered in 2008. They were by far the biggest factor in all of that. They are less so today, but they're still major, all right? And especially in an environment where in the U.S. we may end 2021 without the alleged bipartisan infrastructure bill, without the other alleged infrastructure, human or otherwise, or whatever this fantastical boondoggle is, this big multi-trillion dollar package. So there's going to be no help from anything in the U.S. to further the green economy, infrastructure and stuff like that. If you see a couple of more shoes drop in China or all of a sudden it comes out that it's not as easy to manage this marketized default of Evergrande, you're going to see the silver price with the one in front of it. You're going to see copper with the price of three or worst case, maybe the high twos for a while if things really get ugly. Now, the central banks, if that happens, they'll all have soiled underwear. These central bankers, they'll add a zero to the next quantitative easing program, and they'll inflate all these things again. But I'm here to tell you, with a, with a couple of exceptions, um, gold, you can't put it, I don't put gold in the commodity, commodity basket. Gold is the uncurrency, so, and it's going to take on increasing prominence real fast. Um, but aside from that, there could be more pain before we get to a bottom. But but again, we don't know just how bad the Evergrande thing is going to be. We don't know what the contagion is going to be. Uh, those are to be determined still. Torque Resources is an exploration company establishing a portfolio of premier copper gold early stage projects in Chile. Torque's management and technical teams have a strong track record of raising capital, discovery, and monetization of exploration successes. The company's Margarita Copper Gold project is located within the prolific coastal Cordillera Belt in Chile, which hosts some of the world's largest and most profitable copper mines. The Margarita project possesses excellent discovery potential for a major copper discovery due to the strength of the alterations system, large-scale magnetic targets, and the presence of copper oxide mineralization. Drilling is anticipated to begin in Q3 of this year. Torque trades in Canada under TORQ and on the OTC under TRBMF. To learn more, go to torqueresources.com. That's torqueresources.com. So how are you approaching resource stocks in light of this analysis, Chris, right now? Resource stocks, I'm still standoffish generally. I've got a number of individual companies on my recommended list. Uh, uranium, I still love, even though uranium stocks temporarily will get hit with the overall market if things really get ugly. Uh, there's individual stocks I like for the long term with nickel, with copper, with silver, with gold. 
Uh, but as far as sectors are concerned, you know, and I'll go back to gold for a minute, a little over a year ago when gold peaked last summer, I told people to sell all of our trading positions in gold, even a few of the individual stocks I didn't want to ride. The remainder, are all but a few of them are down from what they were a year ago. I'm not worried about it because, A, they're not a major part of our overall portfolio. Uh, and people get in trouble at times like this when they go all in with all of their portfolio on commodities. And, you know, there's going to have to be a hell of a rally just for people to get back to even if they've done that. But you keep your overall exposure fairly low as a percentage of your portfolio. But look, I'm not afraid to tell people um, to be in some good uh, copper stories, some good nickel stories, some good battery metal stories, lithium, all the rest of these things, even if in the near term uh, we could still see some turbulence and, and further losses of, of note temporarily if, again, uh, we, the, the central bankers can't keep things afloat and, and China really starts to unravel. I, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I don't think that's necessarily the base case. But I think at the very least, going forward, Bill, that a lot of the expectations over just how much China is going to continue to contribute to global growth and thereby to commodity prices, the people are going to have to have a lot more of a sober outlook on that. And how does your China analysis affect your expectations of the gold price? I mean, could we see gold above 2000 and silver below 20? Is that a possibility with how this- That is play? a distinct possibility, a very distinct possibility, because again, gold, and people lose sight of this, Bill, there's still so much stuff out there that comes out from some of these precious metals gurus, like they, they hopped into Doc Brown's DeLorean and they're back in the 1970s talking about gold and the dollar as they existed back then. We're in a different world. Uh, it is not automatic that if the U.S. dollar rises, gold must go down. Both of them can go up in tandem. And I think we're at the beginning stages of, of such a period over fears about China, over fears about global growth, and with the certainty that if those things get worse, Jerome Powell or whoever his successor is, if he isn't renominated and given a second term early next year, his successor or him will add another zero to the next quantitative easing program to keep everything together. So you can very definitely have a situation where the economy stinks, stagflation is worse, but a lot of people running for the hills and they are going to run to the U.S. dollar and to gold at the same time. And don't think that's so far-fetched because we saw that in spades for many months back a decade ago when it looked like the euro was going to bite the dust. And you had gold and the dollar go up at the same time. So the difference between now and the 70s is that in the 70s, gold went up as the U.S. dollar went down because the U.S. dollar was really the only major currency in the world that was being aggressively debauched. You know, they weren't doing it in Germany. They weren't doing it in Japan. They weren't doing it anyplace else in the UK or anywhere, but it was being done here. So the dollar uniquely back then was racing to the bottom on its own. Today, all fiat currencies are in this tag team tandem race to the bottom. This year, this one is worse. Next year, that one is worse and so forth. So um, in that environment, it's not strange at all. And it's happened many times, including in that example of the euro turmoil a decade ago that you can have the dollar and gold both go up as safe havens at the same time. And I think we're at the beginning stages of that again. The dollar this morning 
uh, is at its highest point since its recent bullish move started around the 1st of June. And look at how gold is holding up. Silver has been annihilated. Some other commodities have been annihilated, but gold is holding up. And I think it's going to surprise people uh, to see gold increasingly decouple, perhaps, from the fate of the Treasury market which it's been joined at the hip with more often than not in the recent past, certainly more so than where the dollar is concerned. And you're going to see the safe haven money go into the dollar and gold both. It's interesting. That's not going to do a whole heck of a lot yet for the mining stocks and for exploration stocks, even in gold might make the declines in those a little bit less bad. Uh, but for gold itself, I mean, since I told people to sell our trading positions and ETFs last August at the peak, I did just recently add back a position in UGL, which is one of the leveraged bullion uh, ETFs in gold. And how are you playing the energy crisis? I mean, natural gas is just going up with no, no signs of retracement anytime soon. How are you playing this? Well, I got to give a mea culpa again, or mea culpa is a better pronunciation, because I've been largely AWOL from that. I've been expecting a broader correction in the market that will allow us to get into these energy stocks again at lower prices. I'm going to start nibbling, but I think that as the overall stock market corrects, you're going to see some of the stocks of the companies not do that well. There's been a few energy companies out there that have been parabolic recently that scare me. But after, and, and let me say this, after a pullback that I think we're going to have, especially if the China things get worse, because I don't care what the supply situation is, you will get some selling in the markets uh, if China really starts to deteriorate more rapidly because people see the handwriting on the wall. Energy will get hurt along with other commodities. But I'll, I'll add this. If that happens, if, if you were to see gold, or I'm sorry, if you were to see crude oil and natural gas both pull back meaningfully, some good companies that even after the recent rallies, I think are probably still cheap. I don't think they're timely, but I think they're cheap. If I see some of these things drop 10, 15, 20%, I'd really be piling in because after this that kind of a hiccup bill, policymakers in this country have virtually guaranteed and it's not just in the U.S., but acutely in the U.S., which is a whole different subject, that we are at the beginning stages of a new energy crisis. You have policymakers in Washington who claim that they want this green economy, uh, new energy infrastructure. Look at the spill you just had out in California, all right, where you've got deteriorating infrastructure that needs to be replaced. So what's the answer of some of these starry-eyed policy walks? All right, we're going to starve the fossil fuel industries for money. Uh, some of the so-called squad in Washington actually has a bill, I don't think it'll pass because it's really Looney Tunes, uh, that they want to have the Fed and Treasury both sanction any banking uh, or Wall Street entity that puts another nickel into fossil fuel companies after 2024, Looney Tunes. Well, what are they doing at the same time? And you and I have discussed this before, numerous extractive projects that are on the table within our own four walls that will provide the lithium, the copper, the, the, the uh, nickel, the tin, other things to build these electric vehicles. There's new monkey wrenches thrown in with all of them. Okay. So what, what the current re regime is going to give us over the coming few years is we won't remotely 
have the pieces in place to meet these very aggressive pie in the sky timetables to wean ourselves off of oil and gas and coal, while at the same time they, they're spending a whole lot more time and energy to kill those industries. So we're not going to be ready for the green economy and the green energy infrastructure of the future. And all that will have been accomplished is that we'll have shortages, no matter how lousy the economy is, we'll have shortages of oil and natural gas. And if you think what we've seen in the last several months is bad, wait another couple of years. Yep. Well, Chris, your website is nationalinvestor.com. Before you go, remind us what investors can see there. Well, there, as I alluded to earlier, where China's concerned, Bill, I, you know, I, I believe marketing-wise in a puppy dog approach, especially if someone is watching me for the first day today, uh, for the first time today, rather, I don't expect them to run out and buy a subscription. Uh, I expect them, however, to go to the website and look at a lot of stuff that they can look at free of charge, commentaries on commodities, on the markets generally, on Fed policy, on China, and all of these things. Uh, and, and with the belief that if people look at some of that stuff and listen to us today and say, well, maybe this guy does know what he's talking about, then later they'll subscribe. There's also a link there, even a, a short of subscribing, where you can sign up for my mailing list and get some free commentaries that I put out from time to time. And, and actually a few upcoming sector and thematic reports that I think will be pretty provocative. Uh, the, the one that'll be out early next week, I hope, uh, will be on this whole infrastructure and green energy thing. And um, uh, here again, like so many things, including China, you've got you know these standardized arguments out there that people have one way or the other. But I dig down underneath all of that, as you know, and try and give people stuff that they're not getting elsewhere. Excellent. All right. And Chris combines his political analysis with his economic outlook and lets you know how he believes that will impact your personal investing. His website, again, is nationalinvestor.com. Chris, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, my pleasure. Always good to see you as always, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. 
I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.